Welcome to the God's Peculiar People podcast, where we learn about the lives and characteristics of God's people. While less is known of Philip Bliss today than in the age when he was working with D.L. Moody and Iris Sankey in the evangelistic meetings, he shouldn't be forgotten. It's still important to remember the life of Philip Bliss, the music that he contributed to the hymn books that we sing from each week. And so I want to talk just briefly about Philip Bliss Remembered. I want to read from the book Memoirs of Philip Bliss, the couple testimonies of people who knew him, who had worked with him, and who spoke of him following his death. But first, let me read from the same book, Memoirs of Philip Bliss, and tell you a little bit about what happened that night that Philip Bliss passed away. The story of the disaster by which these two precious lives, that of Philip Bliss and his life, were lost, and the experiences that they passed through that night of fear and pain, we shall not know fully until we meet them on the other side. We may confidently believe that God gave them abundant grace for all they met of suffering, and that Christ was consciously near to them in their moment of need. From all the evidence that could be gathered from the testimony of survivors, it is believed that the Buffalo and Cleveland parlor car, in which the couple were seen, struck first upon the ice after the fall of the bridge, and then another car fell upon it, crushing, probably instantly killing the passengers within. The floor of this car was identified in removing the wreck, and lay flat upon the ice, with the water that had come from the melted snow and ice mingled with ashes and cinders frozen upon it, substantiating the above theory. While traveling from his home, having just left his young sons, and headed to Chicago for a meeting with D.L. Moody, Mr. and Mrs. Bliss were involved in the tragic, in the tragic Ashtabula train accident. The bridge collapsed, plummeting the train cars and the train down onto the ice. In, in the moment, this man who was used of God to record hymns that even today we still enjoy, a hundred years later, we still sing, was gone. And let me tell you about those of his day, what they said about Philip Bliss. The editorial columns of the Chicago Inter-Ocean contained following glowing tribute. And this article says, quote, Almost persuaded and scores of other popular songs were on the train that went down with a crash to terrible destruction at Ashtabula. He, Philip Bliss, was coming from the holiday meeting at his old home, with his tender memories clinging to him, to hold a grand praise meeting in Chicago, to which he was looking forward with all the wholesome enthusiasm of his stalwart Christian manhood. Moving along a line leading from joyous scene to pleasant duty, he stopped midway to die with his wife. The horror of a railroad disaster has darkened many a home. In the case of Mr. Bliss, it destroyed one, blotted it out as with a thunder crash. The catastrophe has depressed the public, a public already sore to the heart's core over the Brooklyn Theater disaster. But in the death of Mr. Bliss, it touches chords that bring it home to a family grief to every church and Sunday school in America and England. Mr. Bliss was the songwriter of the church and Sabbath school. He stood prominent among those earnest workers who had invested Sabbath school music with the cheerfulness, lightness, brightness, and briskness that was wanting in the old hymns, and who have added to them pathos and tenderness. His works were songs rather than hymns, and they were written under the inspiration of the ideal songwriter. In words and music, his compositions were adapted to the longings and wants of those he desired to reach. The illustrations were familiar, 
The methods were striking. The sentiment was an echo of the feeling in his own heart. He seized quickly upon incident or figure or story, and turned it to good account. Catching suggestions from the actual life of the people, his songs and musical compositions came to the masses as revelations. The relation of an army incident suggested hold the fort. It was written on the impulse of the moment, and it has traveled the world over. It has been translated into not only nearly all the European languages, but into Chinese and the native languages of India. It is not too much to say that it is popular beyond any other Sabbath school song of the age, and with it travel others almost as popular. What will the harvest be? Almost persuaded. Only an armor-bearer, etc. A report of a meeting held in Chicago on the Sunday after a report of a meeting held in Chicago on the Sunday after the news of the disaster was then read by Major Whittle, who made the following remarks, explaining the circumstances of the departure of Mr. and Mrs. Bliss from their home, and of his being on the ill-fated train. Quote, we have today no remains of these beloved friends. None will ever be found. And I am asked to make a brief statement of the circumstances of their death. Mr. and Mrs. Bliss left their home the 30th of December, and went to Tawanda and Waverley. The last heard of them was a letter to the father on Thursday, that they bought tickets by way of the Lakeshore Road, and expected to be in Chicago Friday night. The letter closed with the sentence, God bless you all for time and eternity. Probably the last letter he ever wrote. Mr. Bliss was expected in Chicago to help carry on the work of Messrs. Moody and Sankey. Saturday morning in Chicago, when I read of the terrible accident at Ashtabula, my heart was filled with fear, and I sent a telegram to Tawanda to know whether they were there. It was some time before an answer could come. His friend supposed he was twelve or eighteen hours in advance of this train. During the day, while waiting, we went to the railroad office and tried to get dispatches from the train, but could only learn that it was a terrible accident, and that Mr. Bliss was not on the later train that left on Saturday afternoon. My alarm increased, but I could not take it home to my heart. But Saturday afternoon, a telegram was received from Mr. Burchell, who knew Mr. Bliss intimately, saying, Mr. Bliss and wife are among the dead. And we immediately started for Ashtabula. We arrived there on Sunday morning, and for three days I was there while the wreck was removed, and every search was made that could be to find some relic of these dear friends. The few bodies recovered were unrecognizable, except in two or three instances. We thought then that the dear little children were there, and when the dispatch came from Tawanda, and the children were safe at home, I fell on my knees and thanked God that the children had been spared. It came away Tuesday night. Everything had been removed. A stream of water five feet deep in the deepest, and two feet in the shallowest part flowed by. The bottom was dragged. Eleven cars had fallen, one on top of another. The cars were broken in fragments. The lamps set fire to the oil. It was a fierce wind and a terribly stormy night. The woodwork, everything was burned. The iron melted, and not a fragment of anything was left that we could find. And so we are left here today with nothing of these friends but the thought of them in glory. Regarding one of the memorial services for Mr. Bliss and his wife, at an afternoon service on the day of the funeral, many more who had been impressed during Mr. Bliss's labors publicly manifested their decision to accept Christ and commence a Christian life. By special request, a union meeting was also held in Tawanda in the evening, a memorial service participated in by all the pastors and people. Reverend Darwin Cook, pastor of Mr. and Mrs. Bliss, twenty years ago in Psalm, who gave Mr. Bliss his first encouragement to devote himself to the composition of music, and who married him, was present and offered prayer. Upon invitation at the close, 
a large number of rose as desiring the prayers of Christians that they might enter into a Christian experience. End quote. And we will end with the remarks of D.L. Moody just a day after finding out what had happened to his friend. When I heard last night that Mr. Bliss and his whole family had perished, at first I could not believe it, but a dispatch from a friend who was on the train took away all hope and left me face to face with death. For the past three months I have seemed to stand between the living and the dead, and now I am to stand in the place of the dead. Mr. Whittle and Mr. Bliss were announced to hold the four o'clock meeting in the tabernacle today, and now Mr. Farwell, Mr. Jacobs, and Mr. Whittle, with other friends, have gone to see if they can find his remains to take them away for burial. I have been looking over his hymns to see if I could find one appropriate to the occasion, but I find they are all like him, full of hope and cheer. In all the years I have known and worked with him, I have never once seen him cast down. But here is a hymn of his that I thought we might sing. Once, after the wreck of the steamer at Cleveland, I was speaking of the circumstance that the lower lights were out, and the next time we met he sang this hymn for me. It is the 65th in our collection. Let's sing it now. It begins, Brightly beams, our Father's mercy, but still more brightly beams, light along the shore, to which he passed. It was in the midst of a terrible storm he passed away, but the lights which he kindled are burning all along the shore. He has died young, only about thirty-eight years old. But his hymns are sung round the world. Only a little while ago, we received a copy of these hymns translated into the Chinese language. This being the last day of the year, I had been looking forward to it as one of the most solemn days of the year, and I had prepared some thoughts to bring it out on this occasion. But little did I think it was going to be as solemn as it is. My thoughts had been drifted into another channel entirely. A text came to my mind when I heard of the sudden death of Mr. Bliss and his family. He was coming to the city to fulfill his appointment here today. He was to have been with us this morning, and it seems almost as if I am standing in the place of the dead. It is always solemn to stand between the living and the dead, as the preacher does, but it is a great deal more solemn to step into a dead man's shoes, as I feel to have done today. The text that occurred to me is the 24th chapter of Matthew, and the 44th verse. Therefore, be ye also ready. Death often took us by surprise, but it did not find Mr. Bliss unprepared. He and his wife have been ripening for heaven for years, and I have been thinking of that family before the throne this morning, singing the sweetest song they have ever sung. We should profit by this awful calamity. God is coming very near the city. There was never such an inquiry after God as there is now, and this last stroke of providence ought to be a warning to everyone to get in readiness to meet the Lord. If you do not take this warning, I do not know what would move your hearts. There are three things every man and woman ought to be ready for, life, death, and judgment. Life is uncertain. No man can tell what hour or in what manner death may visit him. Accidents like the one which occurred Friday are by no means uncommon, and may strike down any one of us. It therefore behooves every man to place his trust in Christ, so that he may be prepared to meet him at any moment. I find it interesting that Philip's music was always so cheerful and so happy in it. D.L. Moody states that that was like the man himself, but yet Moody found it difficult to find something solemn enough for the occasion to sing of Philip Bliss's. I think that, that tells us something about the man, that he he was writing songs that were cheerful, joyful. Because that's what the Christian life is. It's supposed to be cheerful and joyful. And yet we come to times like this where suddenly, tragically, though everyone knows that death will happen, it's, it still often takes us by surprise. It doesn't take God by surprise, but it takes us by surprise. And we should be reminded, as Moody says, 
talking about Philip Bliss that it behooves us to place our trust in Christ so that we are prepared to meet him at any moment. People got saved through the death of Philip Bliss. People are still today getting saved because of the music of Philip Bliss. People are being encouraged because of the music that he wrote. We can have a lasting impact. I think we forget that. And we should be doing something with our lives to have an impact on someone so that that person then goes and shares the truth of who God is and what God has done with the next person. It's just a little bit about what people said and, and thought about Philip Bliss following, following his death. But we can still be cheerful and joyful knowing that he is, from his testimony, he is uh, in heaven, around the throne of God right now, singing praise to his Savior. So not exactly a cheerful episode of the God's Peculiar People podcast, but I did want to share about this man. His music is so, so encouraging, so powerful. His life as well as his death were used by God to bring souls to Christ. So I hope you will read more about him. The memoirs of Philip Bliss can be found as a PDF online. Really good book to read. At some point, it will become one of the books that we read here on the podcast. Um, probably a little bit in the future, but do plan on doing that soon. So hopefully you have a great week and I will talk to you again next time.